Fellowship Rogers exists to change the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas and the world. We pursue this through an ongoing commitment to grow together in the knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done. We encounter this growth in these strategic, life-changing ways. We worship together to experience God and respond to Him through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Coming into this room and to be surrounded by other believers, just to be able to hear everybody's voices and to be able to be a part of that, just feel the Lord's presence in the room, just glorifying the Lord has been hugely impactful in my life. We learn together, pressing into the very Word of God. I've been grateful that fellowship really does live out um, its model of um, raising leaders and, and releasing leaders. Being able to learn from older um, godly men and women that are two to five to 10 to 15 years older than you um, that are able to disciple you and, and walk you through doing effective and, and godly ministry. We gather together, living life in small group community with one another. There's just something about that community that brings us all together. It's a friendship, it's a bond. It's a family, it's a feeling, it's a connection that goes well beyond just a meeting in a, in a house every other week. We serve together, joyfully, out of the overflow of grace we have received as followers of Christ. You know, you don't have to go across the world to do something for somebody in need. You can do it right here in your neighborhood. I mean, this is actually where we all work and live. And these are the people we interact with each and every day. You think you're just doing this to make a difference in someone else's life, but actually this impacts all of us also. And we make disciples together to release leaders who know and express Him wherever He plants them. I meet with women, and I meet with young women and older women, and now I've got all these sisters and daughters in the Lord, and it's just a, a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Why do we do this? So we can fulfill our calling to bring the message of the gospel into our community, where we live, where we work, and where we play. We want to see the reality of who Jesus is come alive around us, right here in Northwest Arkansas and around the globe. Each one of us is a part of that mission as the local church. At Fellowship Rogers, we have an opportunity and calling to come alongside people and to invite them in, into our campus, into our church body, and into our lives. Fellowship. It's so good to be with you this morning. You know, what a great opportunity we have to come together as a spiritual family and celebrate who Jesus is and what he has done in our lives. You know, so in, in, in that spirit, uh, I want to begin by sharing some encouragement from the Apostle Paul uh, to the Colossian church. And in chapter three, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 
what a powerful experience we will have this morning in the presence of an awesome God if our praise and worship is driven by authentic gratitude for what God has done in our lives. And so as we sing, I invite you to remember, to remember what He has done in your past, to remember where you see Him at work right now, to remember the future that He promises to all who place their faith and trust in Him. And so family with hearts full of gratitude, I invite you to stand and sing.
But the thing that we learn from Paul's encouragement and throughout the scriptures is that singing is God's thing. It's His thing. And this morning we have the opportunity to love and bless God engaging in His thing. So as you sing this next part, no, as you shout it, we have the opportunity as a family to declare that He is worth it. Are you with me? To declare that our King is worth it. Are you with me? Let's sing that. I'm Matt, and this is Sarah. We work with Fellowship's Elementary Ministry. That's why we get to wear these cool t-shirts. Um, I know you're jealous. Um, hey, if you are new here, we are so excited that you are here. If you could follow this link, um, you could fill out your, a, uh, some information about yourself so that we can get to know you a little bit better. Also, at this link, you can find some more information about all the things we are talking about because we have a lot of stuff going on here, including our classes, which are happening soon. That's right. They start very soon. Hey, last week, John talked about how, as believers, we get to grow and mature in our faith with Jesus. And so we have what is called the Training Center, where you can take classes that are absolutely incredible. We have Panorama of the Bible, which is what your kids are learning, so could be cool. Um, we have <laughs> a lot of other ones. We have our faith and then personal Bible study. And in personal Bible study, we are actually going to start going through Ephesians, which is what we will be doing here in this room starting next week and also in community groups. So go That's to that QR code and you can sign up for classes. Also, September 11th, we start our fall small groups. And small groups are the bread and butter of fellowships. What I mean by that is we are a church of small groups. We believe that is the best way to process truth and live in community and care for one another. And so we have Discover Groups, which is for our prospective new members, and we have our community groups both launching on September 11th. If you have not signed up for one of those, I encourage you, sign up for one. Um, and it might feel awkward to jump in and, and go to a new person's house and meet all these new people and stuff, but hey, Every one of us was there at one point. Let's embrace that awkward together. 
all together, that's right. <laughs> hey, next week, like I said, we are starting Ephesians, and if you have not gotten one of these books yet, you can get it after this service in the foyer. They are $10. This has been put together by our media resourcing team and our ministry staff, um, and it is gonna be a really great supplement to what we're doing in here, but also in community groups. So you can get them for $10 out in the foyer, or if you want one for free, you can go to our website, Fellowship Rogers, NWA, no, fellowshiprogers.org forward slash Ephesians and get one there for free. Yeah, you can have the online version, so that's pretty awesome. Um, Also, Sarah will be giving that away after the service. Anybody need one? So one lucky member. Look underneath your chairs. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Hey, our last thing is we have our, our small group leader kickoff and so if you lead a, an adult community group or any adult small group, we have our kickoff going on right over in the Family Center right now. If you look behind you, you can see that, I'm just kidding. Um, they are right over in the Family Center. If you are just now realizing that you're supposed to be over there instead of over here, it's like the first day, the first day of college where you're like, I'm in the wrong class. Anybody else have that? Or is that just me? Maybe just me, terrible student. Um, but we have our kickoff going on after the, or during this service and during the next service. So you can catch it one of both of these hours. Yeah, our, the real last thing we have is today in the foyer, <laughs> we have people from both elementary, FSM, early childhood, and our special needs and disability ministries um, that would love to talk to you about serving. You can see the shirts Matt and I are wearing. You might see other people around campus. We're modeling them um, that are also wearing these shirts, and they are all leaders. Chances are, if you are in here and you dropped a child off before you came in here, they are hopefully they are with a leader right now. And so, if you want, <laughs> we hope they're there. We're not there, so we hope someone's there. Um, but our mission and the heart behind what we do is that every child that walks through our doors would be known loved and pointed to Jesus. And so we really can't do that without volunteer leaders. Um, so if that is something you might be interested in, go to the foyer after this. You'll see balloons. There will be people that would love to talk to you um, and get you plugged in and connected if you are wanting to serve. So let's pray and get on with our morning. Lord, thank you so much um, just for the opportunity to come into this place. God, I pray that we wouldn't take it for granted. Um, Lord, I pray that as we walk into these doors, um, that you would shape and form our hearts to look more like yours. Um, And that what takes place in this room wouldn't stop in here, God. Um, That our lives inside these walls would be reflected in the way we live our lives outside of them as well. Um, We love you and we just thank you for this time, amen. Well, last week, um, Pat taught us a new song that just is a powerful way to say that there's nothing like our God. It, it might even be a little bit sassy, so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. But let's stand and let's sing this again.
hear our praise, is he not? You may be seated.
if there was ever a man in history that knew what it meant to praise the one true King of Kings. It was a man who himself was the King, King David. In 1 Samuel, we learn that David was a man after God's own heart. Though far from perfect, he had a genuine desire to walk with God. His heart belonged to God. And perhaps one of the most powerful pictures and expressions of that can be found in Psalm 139, where David, he says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And he goes on to talk about where can he go where the Lord is not there? Where could he possibly go where you wouldn't find his God? He goes on to talk about how he has been wonderfully made and that God knows him intimately, that all of his days were numbered before one of them came into being. And he goes on in verse 17, says, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. It's a familiar passage to many of us. But with all this praise, he closes with a very bold prayer. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. He brings all that he is before God and invites God to deep, do a deep dive into his life. Show me if there's anything that would come between you and me. Show me anything. A man after God's own heart. But how about us? How about you? You know, as we sing this next song, I encourage you to think about David's words. Search me. Look inside my heart. Know me. Weed out anything that would keep me from you. And lead me in the way that lasts forever.
I guess early on I bought, I, I bought into what I think our anthem was, which is worship one, serve one. I mean, we're all getting fed, but there's that point where for someone to be fed, sometimes you have to have people volunteer along the way so that they can be fed. And then I'm looking at the opportunity that goes on because I didn't even realize what was coming for me. <laughs> Just by serving is that I'd be fed in the process too along the way. So what's been the impact for me on serving I've been fortunate, I've had a lot of people in my life who are role models and all I ever saw them do was serve. Part of that impact has just simply been when we're selfless and we're not expecting anything in return and then as the gifts start coming, I've just, I've received more and I, I think it goes back to life change. That's what we do at Fellowship. It's about life change. So whether it's at K2 Town or I've had a chance to be a community group leader or I've taught personal finance classes, it all comes back to life change. When, when you serve, and you're in that capacity and all of a sudden you get to watch these things happen, you're just gonna have joy from that. So I think my favorite part of serving, every one of us has been given a gift and talent by God. Some have multiple, it's fantastic. It is so neat to be on a team where every week we know this team, worship leaders, we're all coming together and we're here to make an impact on the lives of these kids. We're here to change their hearts. Let them get to know, truly know Jesus. And I think that's just a, a big part for me is knowing what those gifts and talents are and go make use of them and go serve with them. You know, I think about why people should step up and serve here at Fellowship. I think back 20 years now of K2 Town and, and 
A couple memories for me that I think of immediately are one, my own daughter got to participate and be a part of my life there. But there's two other things that I, I think about with, with our students, our kids that are in there. And one is, I'll never forget when You Are My All in All was sung by first, second, and third graders. You know, back then we popped in the VHS tape and the words came up and they kind of turned the music down and I got to hear the kids sing. But to hear their voices so pure and so sweet for You Are My All in All was unbelievable. You know, some folks, they thought, you know, I, I, maybe I ought to go serve there. Or, you know, they find something, someone's already asked them and they're just wondering is, you know, is this the right place for me? That's a really good question to ask yourself. Truly find out what that role takes, what the expectation is for you, and then go test drive. That's what I say, go test drive. There's, there's a lot of times a lot of people, they'll, they'll test drive with us up, up at K2 Town. They find out it's fun, we enjoy it, it works for them, or they may find something else that works better. That's okay, but I think the one thing is go test it. You know, you may be the only Bible some people ever read, and it comes through your actions. And I think the, the consistency of serving, whether it be here again in fellowship or outside the walls, I just see that that's an understanding for me. I have a chance to maybe reach out to more folks because they're seeing that action and they're not just seeing talk. Why not you? Well, I have three words for our church this fall. Belong, grow, serve. We've got a plan for your experience at Fellowship Rogers. And our goal is that each one of you would find a place to belong within our church. A place to know others and be known. A place where you can live life together. A place to pray together and to study together. And to share in the highs and the lows of life. And we also want this to be a place where you can grow in your faith. That we believe at fellowship that none of us have fully arrived spiritually. That we are all still in process. And we have room to, to mature and grow up in our relationship with Christ. And lastly, we want this to be a place where each person serves. Just like Scott Hughes, who was highlighted in the video, and many others, we want you to find a place where you can deploy your God-given gifts to make a difference. And that that will be our focus today. And we're going to zero in on this value of service. Because we strongly believe that everyone at Fellowship Rogers in this congregation, everyone, should share in the work of the ministry. We want all to be contributors, and we want none to be merely consumers. Because at an irreducible minimum, we're an equipping church. We prepare God's people for works of service. So we hope to train and empower you to be a spiritual leader and then release you to serve others in the church or where you live, work, and play. Hey, I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 10. Today we're gonna look at a principle found in the scriptures. You might even call it a problem. When it comes to serving, when it comes to meeting ministry needs, when it comes to fulfilling the mission of the church, we often encounter some predictable difficulty. 
Jesus said this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? And then he went into a mode of prayer. He says, pray then that the Lord of the harvest would raise up and send out workers into his field. Jesus said this, Luke chapter 10, just just before sending out 72 spiritual leaders to go out two by two proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's actually encouraging them when he said this because these 72 spiritual leaders are the exception, not the rule. And as he sent them out, he was expressing gratitude for them. He was commending them. And in doing so, he gave us a principle that is true when it comes to the work of the ministry. He was saying, when it comes to God's work, there's plenty to do and not enough people to do it. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are in short supply. When it comes to the ministry world, there's a labor shortage. A small percent of the church carries the bulk of the weight. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Let's dig a little deeper into the passage. What does he mean by the harvest? Well, the harvest is a metaphor describing the results or the fruits of the work of God. You know, spiritual life change or transformation. Belief, repentance, devotion, prayer, attaining spiritual wisdom and knowledge, support, prayer, care for people in need. These are the fruits reaped. These are the things harvested from the ministry. Well, is it really plentiful? Absolutely. Man, there aren't enough hours in the day to properly love and minister to all the people in our world. The plentiful nature of the harvest speaks to all of the potential that exists in the souls of people around us. There is a bounty of unrealized life change. Just think for me, with me for a moment about the people in your life and the potential to minister to them in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace in your network of relationships at at the gym or the coffee shop or in your civic organization or through your kids' activities. And now think about the potential for life change in those not around us in our world. Did you know that there are over 7,000 unreached people groups in our world that have no easy access or no access at all to the life-transforming message of Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. It's plentiful locally and it's plentiful globally. Over the last few weeks, our church office has just been buzzing with a flurry of activity. It's both exciting and it's overwhelming all at the same time. We have tons of new people who've moved to Northwest Arkansas, who've visited our church, adults, children, students, who've come into our ministry. We have stacks of sign-up forms. Our newcomer social last week was packed out. There are plenty of ministry opportunities in our inbox. I fully understand what Jesus said hundreds of years ago when he said the harvest is plentiful. Well, in the passage, who are the workers? Who is the passage referring to there? Well, it's not only speaking of clergy, of pastors, of ministers, the the paid professionals. 
with a special calling. No, it's also speaking of everyday, normal people like you and like me who love the Lord and who are willing to take responsibility for bringing the kingdom of God into this dark and fallen world. We at Fellowship call these willing people spiritual leaders. And according to the scriptures, they're rare. According to the passage, there are few. The workers are scarce. Not very many people are willing to give of themselves for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Not many are willing to represent the Lord here on this earth. To share the good news of Jesus. To teach others the truth. To bear others' burdens. When it comes to kingdom work, when it comes to the affairs of the church, the scriptures say that there is a labor shortage. Why is that? Why are the few willing to take responsibility for kingdom initiatives? Why is it rare to care about the spiritual well-being of others? Why are many reluctant to sign up for spiritual leadership opportunities? Let's think through some common obstacles Some just feel unworthy. And that may be you. Who am I to speak for the Lord? (laughs) You don't know my story. Some feel like they could never adequately have enough spiritual knowledge or skill. Hey, I feel that every week at 855. I sit back there profusely sweating, writing my, my letter of resignation. Welcome To the club. Some still struggle with so much sin and shame. They could never sign up. Some are experiencing such deep personal brokenness. That you could never even muster a smile to share with someone else. Or maybe you're just selfish. I don't want to serve because I need more me time. You don't know how busy I am. Man, did you know you're the only person in this world who's busy? Misplaced priorities. Too much materialism. For many reasons, the workers are few. So it's true. The harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of kingdom work. That's true at Fellowship Rogers. It's true of the church globally. There's just not enough willing people to do it. So it's a principle from the scripture that reveals a problem when it comes to serving. Last week, John Barclay shared this image with you. If you've been around fellowship long enough, it's a familiar image. And and this is a visual representation of the expected spiritual progression of maturity for every believer. Let me walk you through it quickly. We all enter the world in unbelief. Start just past 12 o'clock. None of us are born believers. We are born dead spiritually, separated from Christ by our sin. And the sad part about that is that some people will stay there the rest of their lives. But for believers, at some point you experience what we might call conversion. You're born again. You experience forgiveness in Christ, redemption, new life. 
And for some, that rebirth occurs at five years old. And others, in your teenage years, as you're in student ministry, and others, well on into adulthood. And at this point, regardless of your physical age, you are a new believer, and you're in spiritual infancy. You lack knowledge and skill. You're redeemed, but you're a novice follower of Christ, characterized by ignorance. But you don't stop there. The scriptures and the Lord expect you to progress in your faith. And so you enter into spiritual childhood. And just like a good elementary student, you learn to do things on your own. Read your Bible. Spend time in prayer. Participate in worship in church. But for the most part, your faith is centered on who? Self. At this point in your spiritual life, you are predominantly concerned with what the Lord or the church can do for you. And while this is an expected phase, it's not where you should stay, although many people in the church never move beyond this point. And they remain in spiritual childhood for the rest of their lives, saved out of hell and into heaven, running alongside the church, but never moving to becoming a disciple of Jesus. And that's the next phase. We describe it as uh, young adulthood. You keep progressing. That's the expectation. You move into spiritual adolescence. You become a devoted follower of Christ. And just like a young adult, not only can you feed and take care of yourself spiritually, but you're also able to make a contribution. For those of you who are parenting teenagers, isn't this awesome? Go mow the lawn. Hey, go pick up the trash cans. They can make a contribution. They're not children anymore. They can serve others and do so consistently. Lastly are the spiritual parents. These are disciple makers, evangelists. They reproduce the life of Christ in others and are able to take people around the whole spiritual growth wheel. They help others grow up in the faith. They take personal responsibility for the spiritual well-being of others. So let's do some assessment this morning. Where are you at on the wheel? Not 10 years ago. I'm not asking where you hope to be. Just right now, where are you? <laughs> Feeling the heat. <laughs> you need to grow up. <laughs> Perfect. That's the way everybody was feeling in here. Please make it stop. I'm not going to let her take the heat off of you. Where are you? A reminder, your physical age is not what's being described. It's your spiritual maturity. I've met 50-year-old children in Christ. And I've met 19-year-old spiritual parents. Where are you at? Now, one thing to note on the chart is that a mark of spiritual maturity on this side is that you actually begin to serve. Serving is an expectation of those who are maturing in Christ. You could say it this way, that followers of Jesus, devoted followers of Jesus are faithful servants. Devout followers of the king take responsibility for kingdom work. Those who have freely received begin to freely give. They embrace being the hands and the feet, the heart and the voice of Jesus in this world. 
You can see it clearly on the growth chart. One mark of spiritual maturity is that you take focus off yourself. You move away from consumerism and towards making a contribution. You begin to faithfully serve the Lord. You become a maturing disciple with a ministry focus. Now I wanna do an exercise. I wanna assign percentages on each side of the wheel for the church as a whole, not just Fellowship Rogers, but the church, capital C, globally. What percent of the church do you think is on this side? They're characterized as being in belief, but they are focused on self. And what percent is on this side that focuses on others and serving the Lord? What percent would you assign? You know, I've done this exercise a number of times and the, the pessimists in the room, I, every once in a while I'll have someone yell out, uh, 90% 10. And they're angry about a whole bunch of other stuff too. And then you, you have some people who might say, optimistically, 70-30. Most of the time, you know what I get? What do I get? 80-20, that old 80-20 rule. Isn't that sad? If true, and if it applies to the church, capital C, and if it applies here, isn't that heartbreaking? That 20% would have to carry the work of the whole. And it's usually true on financial giving as well. You see, that's not God's will. His will is that each of us would mature spiritually to such an extent that we would take responsibility for kingdom work. Yet many will remain on the sidelines for their entire life. Let's keep going. Let's now assign a percentage to the 20%. So if you were to take that 20%, and we're, we're talking about followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, devoted followers. Which percent take responsibility for evangelism and discipleship as opposed to just serving the general needs in the church? What would you say? You know, most of the time what I get back is 15.5. Would you agree with that? 5%. Take seriously the great commission of Jesus Christ. He said, go and make what? And he was speaking to who? You, not just me. That only 5% would take seriously the great commission of Jesus. We should pause and lament. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are what? It is an absolute true Principle. So let me stop right here. And I want to show you the mission statement of Fellowship Bible Church. Because this is the problem we exist to solve. We exist as an organization to produce and release what? Spiritual leaders. What's a spiritual leader? It's a maturing disciple with a ministry focus. Who expresses Christ where they live, work, and play. And not just locally, but globally as well. This is the problem that our church has decided to try and solve. 
that there is a, a plentiful harvest, a scarcity of workers. There's a richness of ministry opportunities, but a, a poverty of spiritual leadership. So we want to do something about it. We want to make a difference. Our church does not exist to gather a crowd. We're not impressed with big numbers. Our church does not exist to have 20 campuses or a, a big budget or a massive staff or to be the most popular church in the world or the hippest church in the world. We exist to proclaim the death and the resurrection of Jesus and to make disciples. So let's, pretend, let's spend our time producing workers, or as we call them, spiritual leaders, maturing disciples with a ministry focus. We see potential and thousands of lives to experience Jesus Christ. We just need leaders to take responsibility for doing the work. So it's true. We have a problem. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What if we did something about it? What if we produced mature disciples who would take on the challenge? What if we changed Luke chapter 10, verse 2? Now, don't call the Bible police on me. I know you're not supposed to change the Bible. But what if, through Fellowship Rogers, the harvest is plentiful and the workers were plentiful, or at least adequate. Wouldn't that be incredible? Hey, I want you to meet a couple of our spiritual leaders. This is Chance Kane and Paul and Shanna Olinger. This is their story of coming into spiritual leadership. Check it out. It's given me families that I can lean on because I came here, I didn't know anyone. And so now I have families in the church that I can sit with, I can share a meal with, I can do life with. We just realize that it's not really about what we're giving as much as what we receive and return from that because community is important. I always tell people that I started going to fellowship in January, but I really started going in like October. I didn't start serving until January. And that's really when fellowship became my home. As I began to serve, I began to see people who were doing it alongside me. And I began to make those connections. And then there were people who started pouring into me as I was pouring into their kids. I moved here, I didn't know anyone. I was this kid fresh out of Oklahoma State University walking into a big church that has two different, soon to be three campuses, felt so alone. Flash forward six months, I always have people texting me saying, hey, you want to sit here? You want to sit here? And those are people that I've met through serving. We came to this church and, uh, and really looking for almost a season of rest, but we realized we're not very good at resting and uh, we enjoy serving. I feel like God uh, has used us uh, over the years to be His servants and and it's just something we're comfortable with. There's, a, there's no shortage of places to serve in a, in a church, any church, but especially the size of Fellowship Bible Church. Yeah, I mean, I think in this season, it would be easy as empty nesters to say like, okay, we've spent our, our time in serving the Lord all the time in our younger life when our kids were little and serving in children's ministry, youth ministry, college ministry, young professionals and all those things and to just check out and say, this, these are our years, this is more about us, but that's not our heart. We don't feel that way. 
we want to be involved and we want to be plugged in to our, our church and have community. There might be a, a Sunday or a Thursday night that you have other options and you might want to do something different. Maybe stay out of town over the weekend and miss a Sunday. You know, if there would be a cost in that, it would just be the fact that, you know, maybe we could have gone out of town or stayed out a little bit longer, but we felt like we had a commitment. So we find it to be more of accountability. If we were gonna make a commitment to our community group or to a commitment of a task at church on Sunday mornings, that we want to fulfill that and be there. I'm passionate about biblical literacy and teaching people how to read the Bible, especially kids. So often we struggle teaching kids that, hey, this is something that's attainable. This is something you can do. When I was in 10th grade, I had a small group leader who began to disciple me and radically changed my life. And so I want to do that for other people, but also I serve because I love the Lord. and. When you think about Matthew 25, Jesus is talking and he's, he's telling his disciples that one day he's going to come back and he's going to say, hey, thank you for giving me a drink. Like, thank you for clothing me. And his disciples are going to say, Master, we didn't give you a drink. Like, we didn't clothe you. And he says, whoever does this to the least, you've done it to me. If Christ gave his life for me, surely I can give mine for him. Leading a cell group is just as much for the leaders as it is for the kids, because those kids don't understand the impact that they have on us. Serving a community group, um, it just has so many benefits for us, but it is all about connectedness and community. We had just really prayed for some good friends that were in our season of life that kind of understood um, what what it was like to be empty nesters and all the things that come with that. And God has just really blessed that. We've become friends, so now when we go out to dinner, we call and say, you know, we want to go out to dinner and just go different- Go out on the boat at the, at the lake. Di hey, yeah. We serve out of obedience. You know, we hope that we're pleasing the Lord for, you know, just eternity. We've probably never been that couple that or family that shows up thinking, okay, we're doing nothing and just take care of us. By us just showing up and seeing a need, it just seems instinctive that we want to step in, not because we have to, but when there's a need we should, and we have the ability to fulfill it, then why wouldn't we? You make time for what's important to you. I mean, it's as simple as that. Understanding that the members of the church are the body of Christ, and if you want to serve your Lord Jesus Christ, you serve His body. The best way to get plugged into the church is by actually being a participant of the church. Stay with me in Luke chapter 10. At the end of the chapter, Jesus tells a familiar story about an opportunity to serve someone in need. And the story is designed to set an example of what faithful service looks like. Let's re-engage in the passage. Look at chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus said this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he suffered an attack by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. Perfect. But when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, 
as he traveled, came where the man was and he saw him and took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The story presents a contrast. Two different responses to an opportunity to serve and make a difference. I want you to see three different things emerge out of the story of the Good Samaritan. First, see that both the priest and the Levite, the first two people who encountered the man in need, passed by with no concern and basically said, not my problem. They distanced themselves from the need. They put their head down and kept walking. They refused to take ownership and engage in the situation. They had the mindset that someone else would take care of it. Aren't you glad we're not like that? Not my problem. Note that they were both religious people. One was a priest, one was a Levite, but I'm not sure that either of them fully understood what it meant to love the Lord and to love your neighbor as yourself. There was a lack of depth in their spirituality. They were self-centered. They were living like spiritual children. You know, a lot of times in the church, that's our attitude, not my problem. We see or hear of a need and we ask what they are going to do about it. You know, they. That mythical group of people in every organization that takes care of everything. Let me remind you at Fellowship Rogers, there is no they. I have looked and searched for them. I cannot find them. They have no email address. They have no cubicle, no office at this place. There is no they. There's only us. Last Sunday, I toured the campus during our services. I think I set foot in every ministry area, and I noticed several things. First, our students are setting the pace. I counted 110 junior high and high school students that are serving at fellowship. Isn't that incredible? 110. They come here for two hours every Sunday. They go to their service and then they go serve. It's an incredible deal. I also noticed tons of adults like you serving. Our communion team was fully on board last week. Worship team, our hospitality team, our our small group leaders were gearing up. Our our, um, newcomer social was fully staffed. But I also noticed that we had some closed classrooms. Classrooms with the lights out, and I asked our staff about it, and they said part of that is because our capacity has reduced as we launched Fellowship Bentonville, but part of it is we have enough kids, we just don't have enough leaders. Not my problem. Closed classrooms. Back to the story, I want you to see a second deal, that the Samaritan took responsibility. In a shocking turn of events, the expected behavior, the hoped-for behavior was embraced by an unexpected character. While the priest and the Levite practiced social distancing, the Samaritan, the outcast, the half-breed, took pity and took action. He saw a need and showed mercy and volunteered to intervene. He took responsibility for the well-being of another. Right across the hallway right now, our community group leaders, our small group leaders in adult ministry are gathered for the kickoff. Man, I'm so thankful for this group of people who take responsibility to shepherd us and teach us and pray for us and care for us so well. They have said, here I am, Lord, send me. The last thing I want you to see that the Samaritan went above and beyond. 
Not only did this Samaritan take responsibility, but they served sacrificially. You could even say lavishly, generously. He gave of his own resources. He poured out his own wine and his oil. He used his own claws to bandage the wounds. He put the man on his own donkey and then had to walk beside him. He took him to a place of care. And then he booked the hotel and paid the bill. And he didn't just pay the bill. He opened up a line of credit and tied it to his own personal card. The Samaritan, or the good Samaritan, as we know him, gave sacrificially and generously of his time and of his resource to change the injured person's life. It reminds me that servanthood comes at a cost. There's a price to be paid. But what we receive in return is invaluable. Knowing that we're serving the Lord, that's an act of worship. To know that we're pleasing him through obeying his commands. To know that we have the opportunity to change someone's eternity. There's no greater joy than that which comes from being a servant or an agent of the king. I want you to see the last four words of the story. See, at the end of the story, Jesus asked a question. Which one of these three men was a neighbor to the man lying on the side of the road? And they said, the one who showed mercy. And that's when he gave the final four words. Go and do likewise. Jesus asked us to follow the example set in the story. Replicate what you've seen and heard. And Jesus didn't just teach the parable. He lived it. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, The Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. While we were lying on the side of the road, wrecked by sin and shame, he stepped out of heaven. He crossed the road to rescue us. He poured himself out on the cross and he paid your debt. Go and do likewise. We're called to give our lives away. When it comes to God's work on this earth, we cannot say, not my problem. Followers of Jesus are faithful Servants, we take responsibility for kingdom work on this earth. When it comes to his cause, his task, his church, we reject passivity and apathy and we step up and do the work of the ministry. We see needs, we take action. We invest our time and our resources and our gifts into God's people for God's purposes. First Peter chapter four, verse 10 says it perfectly. Each of you, Everyone should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. It can't be said more simply or clearly. So I want to invite you to serve this fall at Rogers. Now, you may have feel like the last three weeks have been a commercial. They are. For everyone who signs up to serve today, we're throwing in a sham wow. <laughs> I want you to serve. May we not have the 80-20 rule apply here, amen? That each of us would be contributors, none would be consumers. That we would ask, what can I give, not just what can I get? So where are you serving this fall? If you don't have an answer for that question, then I don't want you to leave this place without knowing it. You can simply scan the QR code. It'll take you to a serve form. Give your name, give you some things you might be interested in. Adult ministry, leading small groups, men's ministry, women's ministry, hospitality ministry, music ministry, children's ministry, student ministry, security, hospitality, coffee, all that stuff. It's all on there. Or you can just go out in the foyer. There's two tables. 
They have balloons on them. This is very user-friendly. And we've got staff out there who can talk to you about that. Fellowship, the harvest is plentiful. May the workers be so as well. Amen? Let's pray. Well, Lord, I pray that you would use this church to make your name famous. And I pray that you would take the humble offering of broken people like us to make a difference. So may we care for our own inside the church and may we do great work outside the church. And may each one of us make a contribution. It's in your name we pray, the name of Jesus, amen. Fellowship, thanks for coming today. If you need prayer, we'll meet you in the prayer room right after the service to pray for your needs.